Fantastic. Thank you, guys. You can be seated. This is not part of my message. This one's for free. I'm just going to tell you a story for those people going through something I felt as I was playing on the drums to share this story. There was a man who had a son and a horse. He was a farmer. And the horse one day ran away. And the neighbor comes along and says, what bad luck that your horse ran away. He said, what do I know about such things? A couple of weeks later, the horse that ran away returns to the farm, but returns with a whole, like, what do you call it? A herd of, of wild brumbies. And they all come into the farm, and now he has many horses. And the neighbor comes along and says, it wasn't bad luck, it was good luck that the horse ran away. Because look, he came back with the brumbies. He says, what do I know about such things? They're trying to train one of the Brumbies and uh, the Brumby kicks the son and breaks his leg. And so the neighbor comes over and says, he's a bit nosy, isn't he, this neighbor? He comes and he says, it wasn't good luck the Brumbies came, it was bad luck he's broken his leg. He says, what do I know about such things? And then a group of thugs come to the farm and they're recruiting, they're getting people to join their gang and they're looking for able-bodied people uh, and they go to take the son, realize he has a broken leg, they don't take him. The neighbor comes and says, it wasn't bad luck he broke his leg, it was good luck. He says, what do I know about such things? Sometimes we're going through things and we think, God, why would you put me through this? Let's wait until we meet him face to face in heaven and we can ask and he can explain to us what, he was do- what on earth he was doing in our life because we can see in that example that in just a short space of time, sometimes we don't know what is good and what is bad. We just need to trust God that what he's doing in our life is all for his glory and all to strengthen us. Very good. That's not from my message. That's free, as I said. Kirsty, can you just open? Oh, don't throw a bottle of water at a pregnant woman. Might hit her in the belly. My wife is pregnant. We, uh, we almost preached. Uh, I, I am preaching today. We almost didn't. Who knows? No, nah, that's, that's misleading. She's just very, very pregnant. Every time I look at her, I think she is going to pop any day. And then sometimes she's in another room and she'll like do a big sneeze. And I'll be like, was that it? Did it come? <laughs> No, baby's still in. We've got like three weeks to go, a little bit less, something. It's crazy. The impending doom. It's good. <laughs> uh, when I was a child, when I was a child, I have really fond memories of making stuff in my dad's shed. My dad is an engineer and he had a shed out the back of our house and they had many tools there so I'd go and make all sorts of different things and uh, <coughs> I had in my mind that I love to build really cool stuff, not average stuff, really cool stuff. You know, I'd seen things like Wallace and Gromit has anyone seen Wallace and Gromit where like he's got all the inventions where he slides out of bed and he it automatically puts his pants on and then d- d- like it cracks the eggs for him to, to make his breakfast. And I, I thought that was really cool. And so I would always come up with these really ingenious ideas. So for example, I had to build a... Uh, uh, like a gate for the chickens to come in and out of their coop. And so I, uh, I thought, you know, I start thinking about this. I thought, I've got to make a cool 
chicken gate though. So I would imagine something like where you pull a lever and then the lever releases a catch and that's attached to a pulley system with a weight bag which would fall and as it falls then it winds up a gear and then slowly the gear just automatically brings the gear. That's a cool chicken gate, right? That's super cool. But I remember telling my dad one of these ideas about what I was planning to make and he said, son, let me tell you about the KISS principle. As an engineer, he said, KISS stands for keep it simple, stupid. And uh, once I'd got over the fact that I thought my dad was calling me stupid, uh, I sort of inquired, thought, well, it is a very complicated chicken gate, isn't it? <clears throat> he said, what about a gate which is a piece of wood on two hinges, and then when you want to open it, you open it. How does that? And then you just, and then it's open, and then you close it when you want to close it. I said, that does sound much more simple and less sort of parts to break. That's the KISS principle, keep it simple, stupid. Keep it simple, stupid actually was coined by an engineer in the 1960s, Kelly Johnson, who was in the US Navy. And the way that he illustrates this principle is that he would gather a team of engineers who were working on a new jet airplane and he would give them each a handful of tools, just a handful of tools. And he'd say, right, now that we are designing this airplane, you need to design it in a way that an average mechanic in the field can repair this plane with those handful of tools. I've just recently had a car thing and it's got a very fancy gearbox and you love it whilst it's working and as soon as said fancy gearbox breaks it's 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 expensive <laughs> i wish they just kept it simple stupid and so this guy realizes that if he can design it to be simple enough the mechanics in the field anywhere can repair it easily they can maintain it easily and so we've been talking about soul winning and I found this to be a fascinating idea because I think with soul winning, we need to make sure that it is simple. We need to keep it simple, stupid. Why do we need to keep it simple? We need to sim keep it simple so it can be maintained in the field and, and carried by the people who are doing it. I think sometimes soul winning is seen as very complex and, and overwhelming. I think we think about soul winning and we think that means I have, do I have to go out onto Rundle Mall and preach to people? What would I say? You know, maybe I need to, maybe I need to go and knock on people's door and tell them about all kinds of the things like in public. Maybe we need to start a crusade and everyone can bring tents along and camp. Maybe camping is specific to salvation. Or maybe you're thinking about more personal evangelism and you're thinking, you know, I've got this person who I know their soul needs to be reached and I have to basically talk to somebody who thinks that there is no God, who thinks that I'm crazy and that church is either boring, irrelevant or bigoted. And then I have to get them to come with me, someone they think is crazy, to a church which they think is bad to give their life to a God that they don't believe in. How am I supposed to do that? Or, or maybe you think, but what kind of qualifications do I need to be a soul winner? Am I gifted? Because the Bible talks about 
the gift of evangelism. So that if some people have that, if some people are evangelists and some people, that means some people aren't. So am I or am I not one? And how do I know it? Maybe I should do a course before I try and do anything. Are there any courses coming up? No? Good. Good. Well, I'll wait for a course and then I can get started. Or maybe you're worried about your reputation or how people are going to perceive you as you go about soul winning. What are people going to say when I try and talk to them about Jesus or will they reject it or accept it? Will they reject me or accept me? I don't know how people are going to react. And so you can see that there's a lot of things that can run through your mind, right? When we're talking about soul winning, it can get pretty overwhelming to the point where we think maybe it's easier to do nothing. Maybe if I just, I can't really figure it out. It's too complex for me. So I don't know where to start or if I should start at all. So what we need is the KISS principle. Keep it simple, stupid. Why don't you help me preach this morning and turn to the person next year and say, keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> now just turn to the other neighbor and, uh, and lose the comma so it's less offensive. Keep it simple, stupid. And say that to them. God, it was a bit rude the first time you said it. My goodness. We need to keep it simple, stupid, so that anyone in any language, anywhere can do it with the handful of tools that they have. And so my message this morning is soul winning is simple. Help me preach, turn to the person next to you again, say soul winning is simple. Soul winning is simple. How is soul winning simple? You might ask, you just talked about how complicated it was. Soul winning is simple because soul winning is discipleship. That's all that it is. Soul winning is discipleship. Discipleship is relationship. I'm going to unpackage that for you in just a second. Let's look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. This is right at the end of the story of Jesus. He has uh, just gone and done life with his disciples, done ministry with his disciples for three years. And uh, he's died, he's risen from the dead. He's about to go back to heaven. And these are kind of his famous last words, his instructions to them. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, Jesus has just given them the perfect example of discipleship over the last three years. And now he's saying to them, do what I've just done for you and go and make disciples of all nations. I would put to you this morning that if those disciples had the same attitude towards discipleship that many people do today, then you and I would not be here. The church would not be here. People would not have been reached. Why is that? Because I think often people think about discipleship as being spiritual growth for believers. If spiritual growth, we need to do discipleship. So what does that mean? 
well, you need to go and you need to grow as a believer. So you need to do a course, or you need to do, uh, you you need to go and uh, uh, develop your prayer life. And this is all discipleship things that we think of, right? So let's imagine that the uh, that the disciples who hear that go and make disciples of all nations. They're thinking about discipleship, and they they apply that same thinking. They say, guys, guys, we got to do discipleship. Remember, Jesus said. We need to do discipleship. So what we need to do is go and find some believers and help them grow spiritually. So this is us. We should start a small group and we should just pray and do. we should make up some courses and then do those courses. And then uh, we should just stick together and, and grow spiritually. Now, don't get me wrong. Discipleship is spiritual growth as well for believers. But if they limited it to spiritual growth for believers, they would have reached nobody. It, it says, make disciples of all nations, not make disciples of all believers. It says, it says go into all the world, not go into all the churches. If it had said go, on, go into all the churches, it would have been well ahead of its time because there were no churches. It says, go into all the world. And so the, the disciples interpreted this great commission to mean that they should find people who were not yet followers of Jesus and help them to know and follow him. Is anyone following me this morning? Oh, good, good. Therefore, discipleship is not something that starts after someone becomes a Christian and comes to church. It starts long before that when his disciples engage them in a relationship. So soul winning is discipleship. Discipleship is relationship. That's how we can know that soul winning is simple. Sometimes in our modern context, Christianity is widespread, so it's not quite the same situation as the disciples had, but we have an extra challenge, and that is that uh, we also, it, it, that Great Commission also means to reach people who are what we would call like born into Christianity culturally. Uh, so it's somebody who might say they believe in Jesus, but they are not disciples of Jesus. Like our son, for example, um, our antenatal son. I don't, know if they, I don't know if that's a word. Our pre-birth son. Um, I mean, I don't think he's a Christian yet, but he's going to come to church with us. Like, he doesn't really have a choice. But I would say he's not saved, <clears throat> but we're working on it, you know. It's the same as like what we do in kids' ministry or youth ministry. You might have people coming to church, but just because you come to church doesn't make you a disciple. And so those people also need to be reached because uh, just because you go to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger, right? And that's why each one of us has to make a decision for ourselves in our heart. Am I going to be a disciple of Jesus? Not do I go to church, not do I volunteer, not do I, am I trying to be a good person or am I trying to learn? It's am I going to follow Jesus with my life? That's what it means to be a disciple. And so think about how Jesus did discipleship with his disciples. He doesn't wait for them to start believing before he calls them to follow him. They're in relationship with him and with each other. 
And it's through those relationships that Jesus shows them who God is. I mean, James, one of his disciples, was Jesus' brother. So we can assume that he knew him for his his whole life. He's already built a long-standing relationship with him. Others of the disciples might have been more recent. We don't know uh, whether whether they already knew him before he called them and to what extent they knew each other. But what we know is that Jesus focuses on building relationship and doing life with his disciples. And it's through those relationships that he shows them who God is. He doesn't wait for them to start believing. If you look through the story of Jesus, through the gospel accounts, uh, you'll see that his disciples are following him. uh, And yet they have all kinds of moments where you're thinking, oh, you didn't get that yet. Like, it's only sort of halfway through that Simon Peter realizes, oh, you must be the Messiah. And, and when he points that out, it seems like he's the first to get that, which means that there's 11 other disciples who didn't get it. It's only until the very, very, very end, when Jesus has died and risen again, that Thomas has a real revelation. He's been doubting the whole time. And then he says, I won't believe that you are Jesus risen from the dead until you show me the scars in your hands. And so Jesus shows him and he believes. Jesus says, blessed are those who believe without seeing. But Thomas needed to see, and so he saw and believed. But it's not until the very end that he believed these kind of things could be possible. I mean, Judas, I don't think he ever believed. If he believed, surely he wouldn't have betrayed Jesus. And yet, these are men that Jesus chose to include in his life and to teach and pour himself out to. But it was at their own pace that they came to a revelation and a saving faith in Jesus Christ. So it wasn't actually a condition for them to like be saved, to, 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 to believe. It wasn't like, we're going to wait until you, uh, you do all the right things and know all the right things, and then you can be my disciple. He just called them into relationship with him and then showed them who God was. Shouldn't we make disciples in a similar way? First, we build relationships with people, and then we share our life with them, And it's through our example, our behavior, our teaching that, and it's all seen through that relationship that we have, that we too can show people who God is. And so what we need to understand this morning to keep soul winning simple is that we can't divorce evangelism from discipleship. Evangelism is discipleship. It's just discipleship before someone happens to make a decision to follow Christ. So discipleship is relationship. Soul winning is discipleship. I saw this preacher in presence, Robert Madu, and he's got this great ability to just like, to say the catchphrase of his message just over and over and over again until you just can't get it out of his head. I'm just trying to figure out in my preaching how I can say soul winning is discipleship, soul winning is discipleship, soul winning is discipleship over and over in a way that by the time the end of you hearing me say soul winning is discipleship, soul winning is discipleship, then you'll be able to remember that soul winning is discipleship. Because the more I say soul winning is discipleship, the more likely you're Ah, to remember that soul winning actually is discipleship and that discipleship is soul winning. So can you just help me preach again and turn to the person next to you and say, soul winning is discipleship. And then turn to the person on the other side and say, soul winning is discipleship. 
Okay, the thing is, Robert Madu had a real simple one, but I got two, which is annoying. So I got to do the other one as well, which is we got to understand what discipleship is, right? So we got to say this, discipleship is relationship. Discipleship is relationship. So turn to the person next to you say, discipleship is relationship. And turn to the other person and say, discipleship is relationship. What do you mean discipleship is relationship? How can discipleship be relationship? I don't know what you mean, discipleship is relationship, Brendan. Discipleship is relationship? <laughs> you see what I'm doing? I'm doing it Robert Madu, where I like, I've managed to slip it in a lot. Discipleship is relationship. We've got to understand that to keep things simple. Discipleship is relationship with God the Father and with others. So it's relationship with Jesus and relationship with others. That's what it means to be in discipleship, to be to be a disciple. Every disciple's role is to make disciples and to be a disciple. So if you imagine the cross, you have a vertical arm, that's like your relationship with Christ, and a, and a horizontal arm, which is like your relationship with other people. Why is that important? Well, because discipleship is relationship. Very good. We can keep it simple. If, if soul winning is discipleship, and discipleship is just relationship. We can forget about all those things we we're talking about before. About, you know, I gotta go and knock on doors, I gotta do this, and I gotta, and what are they gonna think? All, all we have to do is think, all right, well, if I'm gonna do discipleship, what do I have to do? Relationship. So it's relationship with God and relationship with others. Oh, it's good preaching. That's gonna keep it simple, stupid. <clears throat> oh, look, I wrote down here, soul winning is discipleship and discipleship is relationship. <laughs> oh, so good. So good. I would argue that the overarching theme of the Bible is actually uh, relationship with God, enjoying relationship with God and enjoying relationship with, another, with one another. So the first thing, <laughs> me saying the first thing this far into the message sounds like I'm only just starting, but don't worry, we're not, we're not like only at the beginning. The first thing there is discipleship is relationship with Jesus. And so at the end of this great commission, Jesus brings us back to the foundation on which it is all built. Can we have that scripture again, please? At the end it says, and be sure of this, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Why is he saying that at that stage? He's literally about to leave them. He's choosing the moment when he's saying, I'm off and going to heaven to say, I'm always going to be with you. He wants them to know that he is by their side and that it's through his relationship with his disciples that they will be sustained and that they will carry on and it's through that relationship that they can go ahead and make disciples um, by themselves. <coughs> I think often people think of discipleship as being like linked to uh, religious duty or increased commitment. I'm really getting into this discipleship, so I'm going to discipline myself and really, really push in. Or, or like just intense discipline. But if discipleship is relationship, then we're not reading our Bible every day to 
do a religious duty. We're reading our Bible to get to know Jesus better because it's about our relationship with him. When we pray, if, if, relation, if discipleship is relationship, we don't pray and worship to gain God's attention or follow a set of disciplines. It's, it's about us enjoying our relationship with Jesus. It struck me the other day that when we repent, if we've done something wrong, if we've sinned, we shouldn't be repenting like, oh, God, I did something wrong, so please forgive me, amen. Like, so that I've done the rote thing of repentance. You know, so, so I've ticked the boxes so that God, I know how this works. I trust in Jesus' blood, blah, blah, blah. Get it out of the way. But it's actually a relationship which is now hurt, which needs to be healed. And so it's not about ticking a box of repenting so that that sin can be forgiven. It's about healing your relationship with Jesus. I think in our modern world, we get so like oriented around activities and doing things that we assume that God saved us for a task to perform rather than an, a relationship to enjoy. You know, when God created the world, he created it in seven days, the story goes. And so he rested on the seventh day. Did he rest because he was tired? Is God the, God the creator of the universe only got six days of work in him? And the seventh is like, oh, I am knackered. <laughs> I don't think that's why. I don't think he was tired. I think he rested on the seventh day so that he could enjoy his creation. Now think about the time at which he chose to create man. He created man on the sixth day and man woke up on the seventh day. So it's, is it possible that God orchestrated the timing of creation so that when man woke up, he... He didn't see God working. He saw God enjoying his creation so that we too could see that we can enjoy creation. We can enjoy our relationship with God. We can be in communion together. God didn't save you to do a task. God saved you so that he could have a relationship with you. And it's out of that relationship that we make disciples, but that is what comes first. So discipleship is relationship. I, I just wrote that down. I don't know if you heard that earlier, that discipleship is relationship. Did everyone hear that discipleship is relationship? You got that bit? Well, if that's all you get, I've done my job. But discipleship is relationship first with God. And from that, Jesus in you will do all kinds of things. The fruits of the Spirit like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. He'll produce those things in you. You don't have to try and work really hard. It's out of that relationship that those things flow. He's going to do signs and wonders through you, out of your relationship with him. He's going to answer your prayers. He's going to transform your heart and your mind. But it's from the position of being in him that we can reach out to others. John Piper said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Have I drunk enough to get the angle right? So the second thing is discipleship's relationship with others. Help me preach, turn to the person next to you, say, discipleship is relationship with others. Thank you. You're such, you're such good sports. I really appreciate you helping me <laughs> preach. Before I ever became a believer, I was, I was in high school when I 
became a Christian, but before I ever became a believer, I didn't, I didn't know that you could experience God's presence, and I, I certainly didn't feel like I had a relationship with Jesus, but I actually saw God through other people. Through Ben, who was my friend in high school, he showed me the character of God through his kindness and his friendship and his love. And through, the pastors are Ben's parents. And, uh, and so they used to like do things for me, crazy stuff, like, you know, crazy kind stuff, like driving me home from school. And I would just, no, it's, it was really mean what I did. I would just sort of like walk to their car instead of walking to the bus. I was meant to catch the bus home. And then I just arrive at the car and be like, would you guys mind giving me a lift home? Just because I didn't want to catch the bus home. But they're so kind. They, they did that anyway. And, uh, and it's totally out of the way. Like it's not, it wasn't really, it's not like you were just nipping to a side street on the way. You're just driving me home out of the kindness of your heart. And so these guys showed me through their character and through their kindness who Jesus is before I actually met Jesus for myself. And so you and I actually have the power to do the same thing as we build relationships with other people. It's through those relationships that people will see Christ. It's through our kindness and our love. It's through trusting them and forgiving them and connecting with them that people will see Jesus and they'll feel Jesus reaching out to them. <coughs> you might ask, where does sharing the gospel fit into discipleship is relationship? Well, I would say to you that we build relationships in order to have a platform to share the gospel. We build relationships so we have a platform to share the gospel. Some people may, so I'm a filmmaker. Uh, and when I was in university, I realized that some people, it feels like they're, when they're going to make a movie, they start with an, uh, like a theme or like a message that they want to tell the world. And they get really self-righteous about their theme and they're like, I've got a great message to say to the world. And then they try and think of what kind of story could say that theme. Um, and what I've discovered is that makes crap movies. Those movies just turn out really badly because you're not actually trying to tell a great story and then deliver a theme and see what theme comes out. You just have a theme idea and then the story just ends up being like boring or not entertaining or whatever. And what I've discovered is that it's actually the same with soul winning. It's like entertainment value in a movie is your license to deliver a theme. You can't do it the other way around. And relationship is your license to share the gospel with another person. By building a relationship, you are building a bridge over which Jesus can walk. And that's like your license <clears throat> to share the gospel. I remember hanging out with a, a, a pastor friend of mine uh, in Sydney, and I had another friend um, from Sydney who, who was there with us. And this other friend had kind of been in church before, but had um, basically walked away from God and turned his life in a totally different direction. And I was out with him and, and this friend of mine who's a pastor in, in, in C3 Church Sydney. And I really respect this pastor. Like he's awesome and great teaching and great character and all these things. And I remember that at one stage, our other friend was talking about something which he was doing. I can't remember what it was, um, which was not great. And 
he was kind of looking for approval, if you like, or at least acceptance. And the pastor goes, dude, we don't judge you. It's all good. And he said to the pastor, I don't care what you think. I care what he thinks about me because I, I knew him much better. We'd grown up together. And, uh, and so I'm thinking to myself, what do you mean you don't care what he thinks? Because like, I really respect this pastor, you know, like he's got great teaching and stuff. But to him, it was only me who he cared what I thought. And it was in that moment that I realized that it's the relationship is what builds the bridge between people. That's what gives you the credibility. And so, so you might have people in your life where you're thinking to yourself, I just wish, man, I wish I could get Pastor Chris to come and preach to this person because he's like so great at talking about these things and explaining these things. And he knows way more about the Bible than I do. So I wish I could just get him into, in front of this person and they could share with them. But you've got to realize sometimes they're going to feel like this guy felt and they're going to feel like, I don't care what Pastor Chris has got to say. I care what you've got to say. You might know nothing about the Bible. You might have no theology background whatsoever. But what you might have is an established relationship through which Jesus can walk into their life. And so it's whatever our weaknesses are, we've got to understand that it's relationship that is discipleship. And it's through that relationship we can share Jesus and, uh, and he, can, he can change people's lives. <laughs> so we... So, we got to understand as well that people are at different, different uh, times in their walk with God. You can't expect people to be uh, just all following the same exact formula of what's going to happen. Like you might, we got to get rid of the assumption that as soon as you talk to somebody, you're going to lead them in the sinner's prayer and then and then that's that. You know, that, oh, I'm such a great evangelist. Because uh, we got to build relationships and uh, people are, at all different stages. I remember having an Uber passenger uh, who I was in the car with for like 15 minutes and by the end of the, uh, the car trip, I'd invited him to church and told him about Jesus and, and then the next time he came, I shared the gospel with him. He came to church, I shared the gospel with him and I was like, I'm so good at this. But I'm actually not. Then I remembered what, how we even started the conversation. Conversation started because uh, he had some Mormons knock on his door and they'd been talking about Jesus and what it means to be uh, religious and all these things. Now, he, he was uh, wise and uh, he, he was asking himself all these questions but felt like there's something not right with these Mormon people. And so, so he, he didn't want to go down that track. But because of them, all of a sudden his mind was open. He started asking, him all the, he started asking himself all these kinds of questions. And so I was, just a, I was just a farmer who like, or the person who was hired to come and pick the fruit. But actually there's been a whole lot of farming that's done beforehand. And so you got to realize that sometimes people are going to be ripe for the picking. And sometimes people are going to need a whole lot of, they need you to plant the seed and wait for the tree to grow before it can bear fruit. And so all we have to do is be the people that are there. We have the relationship and we stay connected so that when they come to their time of need and they, they realize that they need Christ, then, uh, then you're the person that they're going to talk to. And Windows is updated, so we can all be happy with that. 
J. John, I love what J. John says. It's worth repeating. He says, we're like, we're like farmers who go through the orchard and we test the fruit. And we test the fruit to see if it's ripe. And if it's ripe, we pick it. We don't pick it too soon. We don't pick it too late. You, you, you wait to see if it's ripe. Now, there's one of two things that happen. If it's ripe, um, what you want to do is the first thing, you pick it. If you don't pick the fruit when it's ripe, which is to say that someone's ready to come to Christ, uh, two things will happen. One is either the fruit will fall to the ground and go rotten. Or the second thing that will happen is the Jehovah's Witnesses will pick it. So we've got to be going around the orchard, testing to see which fruit is ripe, and then picking that fruit when it's ripe. Very good. i got a bunch more notes, but we don't need to do those. That's enough, isn't it? Ben, would you come? <clears throat> you got it. Soul winning is discipleship. It's simple. It's discipleship. Oh, man, i got too many points in this message. And discipleship is relationship. Relationship with Jesus, relationship with others. Would you stand with me this morning? Soul winning is actually simple. It is simple. It's not easy, but at least it's simple. At least we can be clear on what we're meant to be doing. If, if soul winning is discipleship, discipleship is relationship, then we can go from this place here this morning knowing and being assured that all we need to do is focus on relationship, building our relationship with God, building our relationship with other people. And so what I would love for you to do this morning is, is if, you, if you are a believer and, and, and you have in your heart a call to make disciples, which I believe is every disciple's calling, what I would love for you to do is just close your eyes right now and I would love for you to think of a person who you've recently met And we're going to think about, we're going to spend some time in the presence of God and we're going to think about how you might be able to reach out to that person and build a relationship with them. So just think of that person. We're going to do that in a moment. I would love for you to also think of somebody who is an old relationship. Maybe it's someone you don't see as much anymore, someone you've fallen away from. I would love for you to think about how this week you could reconnect with that person, rekindle that relationship. Maybe there's some forgiveness that needs to happen there. It's a good thing that God forgives us so that we can forgive others. If you have those two people in your mind, would you just lift your hands to heaven and we'll pray for those people. Heavenly Father, right now, in your presence, we're asking you to help us reconnect with an old relationship and build a new one. Thank you, God, that soul winning is simple 
Thank you. We don't have to do it all on our own, that you are with us. So we pray, God, for opportunities this week to do that. Courage to take them. Why don't you consider just sending them a text after the service? Asking them to go out for coffee or having them over for a meal. Thank you, Jesus. If you're here this morning before we finish the service, and if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, maybe you haven't made the decision to follow him as a disciple, I want to give you that opportunity this morning to make that decision. So while everybody's eyes are closed, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if that's you in just a moment, and I'll acknowledge that and we'll pray together. Simple prayer, just inviting Jesus into your heart, starting you on the journey with him. Maybe you've made that decision before, but you've walked away and you want to come back this morning. I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. You're going to raise your hand. We'll pray together. So I'm going to ask right now, if there's anybody here who wants a new relationship with Jesus, I'm going to ask you to just put up your hand right now so that I can see and we'll pray together. We'll invite Jesus into your life. Anyone at all who wants to ask Jesus into their heart. Thank you. I see that hand. You can put it down again. So good. Anybody else this morning? Fantastic. You can keep your eyes closed. We're going to pray this prayer together. Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross so that I can be in relationship with God. I turn from my old life and I choose to follow you. I ask that you come into my heart right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Fantastic. So good. We're just going to take just one more minute in the presence of God as we refresh ourselves in our relationship with Him, if that's all right. So if you just want to close your eyes, lift up your hands to heaven. We'll sing this chorus one last time.